recording the Innovating AgTech documentary, I finished most of my interviews by asking what agriculture would be like in a hundred years' time. When we're talking about AgTech, we're talking about steering a course to the future, a collective act of imagination about how things could be. My guests came from all over the world, many areas of food and agriculture, and so the answers were illuminating. This bonus podcast is to share some of those answers that I heard, and I hope you'll find them as interesting as I did. Andrew Todd's farm in Australia's wheat belt has been in his family for generations. So he pondered the future by reflecting on the past. My grandfather's still on the on the on this earth. He's ninety two, and he, there, I don't really think I know anyone more passionate about agriculture. And he keeps up to date. He reads every paper. He listens to the radio. Anything agriculture, he just lives and breathes it. Right. So I can talk to him about drones and swarm bots. And the other day, I was talking to him about uh, on our harvester now another thing that we've added to it. it hasn't got enough bells and whistles on it we've added a near infrared analysis machine so we can have on the go as well as yield mapping we can map protein moisture uh, in in canola we map oil color as well so in barley we've got color so i was explaining to him oh yeah we can manage the logistics of grain quality in the paddock because i know what it is as it's coming into the harvester and he, and that sort of thing just blows his mind and he said to me well, I can remember walking home in the dark two miles from a night on the harvester when I was 13 years old to tell my grandfather that I'd harvested 100 bags of wheat for the day because it's the first time I'd ever done it. And, like, we'd do 100 bags in it, you know, under an hour. So when you ask me that question, I think, God, like, look, look at what's changed in his lifetime. I don't even, I wouldn't have a clue. He could not have imagined those things. So I think I'm thinking out there when I say, oh, well, we'll ha- there'll be a lot of robots, there'll be there'll be swarms, there'll be less people and more small machines and um, technology is, we- is what will, is the obvious answer, isn't it? But what that looks like, I don't know, because what I'm talking to you about, we can already see. That's already here. It just isn't widely adopted. So I'm that answer is going to cover 20 years. There's a hundred, I have no idea. Sarah Nolette, the CEO and founder of Agthentic and partner at Tenacious Ventures, has mixed feelings about the future. But she hopes that new ways of thinking will light the path towards sustainable agricultural practices. Oh my gosh, this is such a terrifying question. So I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very worried about what I mean, the planet will be okay. The rock will still be here, but the humans and the animals are, I think, in pretty big trouble. And so I expect we will see growing different things in very different places. We'll see a lot more controlled environment. Uh, I think the way we farm and think about food will have to be really different. I try to be optimistic. I'm a little bit of a pessimist, uh, maybe by nature, but when I think optimistically, you know, there's a real potential for agriculture to be part of the solution to many of these problems through how we manage our land, how we manage our water, opportunities to sequester carbon. And that is absolutely the time is now and we need to act on that. That's new business models, new ways of thinking, new technologies, new policies. Um, Actually, I shouldn't say new technologies. We really do have all of the 
technologies we need. It's truly a human coordination challenge at this point. I hope that in a hundred years we look back and say, wow, I'm so glad we we recognize the role that agriculture and land management had to play and got our act together to enable that to be true and helped uh, find ways to make farms sustainable and profitable and providing food for our growing population because I don't really think we have a choice. And so I think that's a that's a bright future for agriculture because it is a unique opportunity than other sectors that really only are part of the problem, not not able to be part of the solution. Craig McKenzie, a precision agriculture specialist and farmer in New Zealand, considers access to water and continued advancement in ag tech as two key factors for securing our global future. What were we doing 100 years ago? You know, like we were just getting tractors. We, you know, who was thinking about GPS? There's a few stars in the sky, but not too many satellites. So how do we view that? What we know is climate is changing. People have to adapt. We'll be growing different crops in different areas under the current change that we're seeing around the, around the globe. We need to make sure that people um, are upskilled in that situation and we need to be able to feed a growing population or whatever the population looks like in 100 years. We don't feed the population in 100 years. You're going to have massive civil unrest and you're going to have a whole bunch of different problems. So different problems, different challenges, different opportunities um, and, and just technology, goodness, who knows? Look where we've come in 20 years. Who knows what we're going to be doing? And there's going to be autonomous vehicles. And But one of the things that may happen is we've got bigger and bigger vehicles and tractors and whatever around the world. We may go back the other way where we've got small autonomous vehicles, lighter footprint, you know, a whole bunch of different things. But probably the biggest challenge globally is water. doesn't matter whether it's water quality, water quantity, too much, too little, wrong place, wrong time, extreme events. It's going to be the biggest challenge around the world. Serial entrepreneur and food system investor Peter Hertz grounded his thoughts with the notion that 100 years is a blink of an eye for our planet. So humans should be humble in the face of nature's long game. I I would say that the complexity of biological and human systems is exceedingly high. And I'm not optimistic that we're going to understand how all that works in that time range. But what we have to understand is our planet has evolved over billions of years. And and my favorite line that I've heard from some entrepreneurs who come to me and say, cows are inefficient. Well, that's that's a delightful statement to make, but cows have been around longer than you have. And it's very likely that evolution has forced it to be quite efficient. I am not Uh, expecting us to create a synthetic cow anytime soon that will somehow deliver what we think the natural system does. What uh, What I would hope to see is a food system that is actually grounded more in how natural systems already operate. Because the more we can align with nature, the more likely it's going to work out in the long run. And the more we decide we know what we're doing, the more often we're going to have unintended consequences. You know, it may take us a while, but, you know, we'll discover that we're killing people. And, you know, I'm, you know, sorry for the people that had to die in that process. But that 
is the more uh, dangerous path. And and what I would hope for in the 100-year timeline is a, a food system that is aligned with how nature works. That would be That would be my hope. Daniel Zimmer, the Director of Sustainable Land Use at Climate Kick, echoed Peter Hertz's thoughts of learning from nature in the next 100 years. Predicting things is, of course, uh, a very difficult exercise, but uh, obviously we need to move toward much more agroecological principles. We need to learn from nature and uh, without uh, more biodiversity in the soils in particular, we will not uh, be able to uh, function well. So we need to reinvent completely our relation with nature in the agricultural sector, and we need to do it particularly in in our soils. Uh, When I was a student, uh, soils were just considered as a black box, basically, and you put a lot of powder, uh, fertilizers or treatments, etc. This needs to be completely uh, changed. Uh, uh, We need to understand all the the ecological principles that, uh, that are important for our production, but for our health as well, because we we have had the tendency to to create and, and to generate our food uh, through practices that have probably a big impact that we do not understand well, but that are it's probably important on our health. The WWF's global food lead scientist Brent Loken considers that greater biodiversity is key to the next century's agricultural advancement. So I would say that agriculture, in many ways, will not necessarily like. I don't think there's going to be radical changes in terms of we're we're going to look at uh, like all of the food is going to be produced in labs. It's going to be produced in vertical gardens and uh, you know grown in ways that we've never seen before. I, you know, I would say that for the most part, farms are farms, and they've been this way for a long time. And even in a hundred years, we're going to know what a farm is, right? We're going to know what it actually looks like. Uh, but what I'm hoping that in a hundred years, what we move towards is farming systems that are much more diverse, much more, uh, you know, not necessarily growing one crop, but maybe growing multiple crops, um, making sure that we're farming the right crop in the right places, um, knowing that, okay, what is the crop in this particular place that will have the lowest impact? You know, making sure that as we look at farming systems globally, that we're producing many types of foods, not just a few crops such as rice, corn, soy, and wheat, but we're producing many different crops. We've got this resurgence of, uh, of these ancient grains, maybe, um, that are supporting local livelihoods. You know, and I think that those, those diverse systems where we walk onto a farm and uh, we see foods being grown, but we're also seeing uh, uh, animals on the farm, a diversity, biologically rich places that we know is supporting a thriving um, system of animals and people, right? All in that one place. That's what I'm hoping um, farming systems can actually look like. Pete Nelson, the founder of the US AgTech Accelerator AgLaunch, also considers diversity, especially of crops, to be an important factor in the coming years while serving the reminder that even giants can be toppled in time. If you close your eyes and you imagine some of the things that when we see them or we read them in a book, I mean, there's no futuristic ag book that has the whole puzzle, but there's some that have good pieces of the puzzle. We're going to have a much larger subset of the 32,000 potential plants 
where we grow obviously six now that provide most of the caloric intake globally. And think about a hundred years from now, we're going to have 2000 plants that provide that in a much more dynamic way. If you think about growing systems ranging from really interesting sort of interspecies indoor agriculture to appropriate automation on a field level. And, and I think again, no one size fits all. A lot of dynamic enterprises with a bunch of different scales um, and different outputs. All of that will center into a, a way of measuring sustainability and monetizing sustainability and data in a very different way that we think about it now. You know, we've got the, the famous slide now that shows, you know, a big X through Sears because they've been fundamentally disrupted by groups like Amazon. A lot of the players that seem strong now won't exist 100 years from now, and which is an interesting thing to think about. The FAO's Francesco Tubiello considers system efficiency and integrating new production techniques closer to urban areas to be important goals for the coming generations. You know, of course, 100 years from now, if we're there, it's because we've solved these problems correctly <laughs> to some extent. I have, a, I have a vision of an agriculture and, and a system you know, that, that addresses many of the problems that we have today. Therefore, I would like to think of, of production systems that are closer and more closely integrated to urban areas. Uh, maybe also some urban agriculture and vertical farming, which we didn't touch, which is still a possibility. So a system in any case that is much more efficient, not only in how the land is used to produce food, but also in terms of its connection to the people. Distance, you know, avoiding what we do today, right? Destroying an ecosystem somewhere in a faraway tropical country. And, and sorry, if I may add, because we didn't touch, you know, we talk about agriculture and we always miss on the ocean, the sea part, right? I mean, fish being, you know, so, such a large you know, provider of proteins. And so I, I do expect that probably will be able to, to have modern, more efficient system uh, that take advantage of marine production a lot more and better than we do today. Journalist and author Sarah Mogg wants to see farmland return to a system of common ownership in the decades to come. But she also believes that climate change has likely already sealed many of our fates. I think we probably will be on a pretty severe path climate change wise. So we'll be experiencing significant disasters kind of all the time. I don't know, but I also think we probably will have adapted. Hot take, perhaps. I don't think we'll be talking about climate change that often. I think it will be kind of a moot point, a fact that we just all accept, and we will be moving on to other, you know, like fighting wars over water because there just is none in the West. Figuring out how to desalinate saltwater at, at, in an actually effective way, actually using wastewater is much more effective than desalination. But We'll all be drinking recycled water. You know, maybe uh, the way we create or use waste will be significantly different. But yeah, I don't know. That's not a very bright idea without exogenous factors that I could not possibly predict. I don't really know how you would guess that some big change would happen. But ideally what agriculture would look like in 2121, the vast majority of you of American land in a common system like use-based access to farming, basically. Like if you want to farm and you are good at farming and you can put together a farm business, like you can gain access to farmland. It cannot be held as an asset class. It cannot be held as an investment class. It is, you know, publicly owned. And as soon as your ability to like use it as an individual, as a group lapses, then it goes back into the commons. I think we've missed 
the boat mostly on like not having significant impacts from climate change. You know, we will maybe have migrated back from the coast. Like no one will live in New Orleans, but people can live in Baton Rouge on their oceanfront property. No one will be able to live in Virginia Beach, but people in Richmond will have really nice oceanfront property. Florida, maybe just a net loss. California, tough, but who knows? Maybe we will have stopped exporting all our alfalfa from the Central Valley to Saudi Arabia so we can actually grow food for people there. Wyoming will somehow become like a breadbasket state because of how climate change is likely to shift. But yeah, you know, I think there is a world where we are dealing with such severe refugee crisis from Central America. That will be a big thing that we're dealing with, you know, just finding places for relocated people and the idea that people will still be able to hold massive amounts of land while tens of millions of refugees are flooding into the country is kind of comical. So maybe that's the thing that will upset the current land tenure system and change agriculture. But um, I still believe either way that we're likely to not really be talking about it in 100 years. We will either have accepted it or we will have done enough about it. I, either way, we're going to accept it. Humans move on pretty quick, right? We rode horses into battle in like 1920 basically. And then we put a man on the moon in 1969. So in 40 years, we went from animals to rockets. And I think we can adjust to floods and the loss of coastal land and probably even the deaths of millions of people, which is pretty heartbreaking. Who knows? Maybe America will split into different countries. A hundred years is a very long time to predict. (laughs) Ben Honan at Amsterdam's Climate Kick believes hints about where we're going are seen in a concept of future living provided by a company called Superflux. A hundred years. Oh, that'll be quite interesting. You know, there's these um, really interesting couple and they run Superflux, which is like uh, futuristic environments. And they have a a literal apartment that's built a hundred years into the future. And there's a kind of washing machine that's been pulled apart and repurposed as a a herb lettuce kind of factory. So in the absence of having thought about that more seriously, I would say, well, go Google Superflux and look at their future apartment and at that little washing machine gadget because I think that there will be very high-tech, very local, very personalized agriculture that is super low emissions and somehow also customized to you and your your genetics <laughs> in a way that uh, tries to, to make it better. I think we will be quite far from the, the massive cornfields of America and the wheat belt of Australia as well. Kimberly Ansell from New Zealand's Tehono considers that future disruption in the supply chain will shift consumer behaviour and expectations about food. There's a whole lot of disruption going on with supply chain and um, I feel personally it's going to be a real mix of those traditional foods, albeit probably going to really much more high-end premium consumers who can afford to pay for this particular cut of beef or this type of venison, and then all those other kind of futuristic foods. So the you know the plant-based proteins, those cellular agriculture, and um, I think there's a lot of consumer push for nutrition and being able to, I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, teas for skincare and there's some really interesting stuff that's coming out there that I just don't think we can really forecast until they turn up. Um, so, yeah, but I think that key things are around environment, traceability, uh, having authentic stories from where, you know, this produce is, is coming from and that, that whole overlay of technology and, and how consumers actually interact with their food and fiber and and the products that they're actually consuming or purchasing. 
Juliet Ansel, no relation, Head of Global Science Innovation at the Kiwi Fruit Company Zespri International, foresees a heavy focus on zero waste and vertical growing techniques for many crops and foodstuffs. But she doesn't envisage outdoor growing being replaced altogether. I hope, because I think about this a lot, uh, you know, we're going down a track of very high-tech, very precision horticulture, but I hope that there is still outdoor farming agriculture. I think there's always going to be a place for naturally grown in the environment, you know, that really beautiful provenance of a, a healthy product. So I think we'll go two ways. And I think that possibly would be the premium the premium brand. You know, this was grown out outdoors in New Zealand or in Italy. Um, but I think we'll also have this split where there'll be the really high tech, grown close to market, you know, vertical absolutely circular in terms of water and nutrients, only what's needed at exactly the right time to get to this this fantastic quality because we have to feed a large number of people in the world. So to me, I think that's where I would see it going. We do both really well. And unfortunately, I think the land, um, the value of land and the the way it's being eaten up by people puts the the outdoor one at risk. Um, But I would really hope that that that's there in the future still. I mean, this is the thing, you can't keep on using the land and not putting something back into it. Um, So the way that we grow kiwi fruit is actually already um, very much in the the regenerative horticultural um, practices, because we, we know that you can't, yeah, you can't just keep taking out of the land. So the indigenous people in New Zealand, the Maoris actually um, have much, much longer vision in terms of their, their business planning for the people and for the land. So they, they you know, they have 50 or 100 year business plans because they understand that you're looking after the land for the future generations. And I'd say that that's a, a theme that goes through a lot of kiwi fruit growers as well, replanting, protecting the waterways, thinking about what agrochemicals we put on and what we don't. Um, so it's, it's about the, the land, but it's also about the community around that land and um, keeping them safe. Just making, I mean, sustainable in the true sense of the world that it's going to be here in in 100 years. Ethan Cleary, however, can see a future that allows farming without stepping foot on the farm, but recognises that marrying technology with multi-generational farming knowledge and instincts will still be essential. 100 years. Mm. Oi. I don't know. I think there's a lot of hype at the moment around the metaverse and having all of these kind of persistent online kind of existences happening. I could see that there will be, you know, that element of it where, you know, no matter where you are in the world, you'll be able to, you know, step into your field, have a look around. You'll be able to run enhanced predictions, uh, projections. You know, you'll be able to kind of do diagnosis uh, completely remotely. You'll be able to multivariate test before you even put a seed in the ground or, you know, before you buy a livestock unit, you'll be able to actually see the progeny, you know, going forward and see the, the heritage going backwards. I think it'll be very different than what we have now, but people still need food and it'll always be there. You know, people said that horses will be gone, but, you know, horses are now a pastime and we still see, you know, the nostalgic look at, uh, you know, people coming out in their horse and cart going into McDonald's and stuff here. So I I think there will always be a place for certain elements of agriculture, but I think the, the majority will have moved on into a pretty unrecognizable kind of approach. 
there's a lot of farming in offices done now, but I think that tradition is there. Like the big thing that we try to do, in particular with the digital education, digital skills thing, is that you have to marry the tradition, the wisdom of previous generations with the skills and the tools that are coming from newer generations. Like I know myself, I love nothing more than getting out and walking in our fields. It's, it's a sense of something that connects you going back, you know, generations. So I don't know if that will ever be replaced, that type of feeling. But maybe in the evening when you're done your manual task, well, it'll probably all be automated then. You could possibly go in and future project or do your multivariate testing as well. But I still think walking out into a field or going up and putting your hand around your, you know, your best milker, it's unbeatable. It's why farming is, unless people have done it, won't understand the connection that's there. David Smith, founder of Livestock GPS tracking company Series Tag, considers data to be the crop of the future. Oh, I think it's 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 going to be as much about data as the actual products that are produced. I often say, you know, when you buy a cow, you get the cow thrown in for free. What you're buying is the data. A similar theme is picked up by Bethany Deshpande, CEO of the dairy tech company Soma Detect. She also considers a focus on data to be essential to the future of agriculture. A hundred years from now, we will have at least another few billion people on the planet. I think that we are living at a time also with regards to climate and everything where doing things sustainably is absolutely critical. And I think data is one of the things or monitoring is one of the things that's going to help us get smarter, better over time and hopefully more efficient in how we make our food and raise livestock. In terms of what I see, that is absolutely critical and really automating that process as well. I mean, even on a dairy already, we see a lot more jobs that are, you know, more engineering focused or that are way more data focused than than maybe they used to be. Getting that, you know, computer science level talent, engineering level talent um, at the farm and really helping to do what is needed so that we all get more efficient at these various things. Um, I think will probably be one of the biggest changes we see from now to 100 years. Another ag tech entrepreneur, Ashwin Madgaukar, founder of Series Imaging, expects automation and precision farming techniques to take centre stage for future farmers to help them battle the effects of climate change. I think agriculture will be farmed at a plant level. You know, right now people make decisions on fields which are depending on the crop, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of plants, and they'll make a blanket decision there. I see the world where we're putting the right amount in the right place at the right time for truly precision farming. And that's really going to be enabled by technology. Um, That's going to make the sector far more sustainable um, because I think you know, weather variability and climate change is only going to amplify a lot of the shortages um, and effects that we're doing right now. It's also going to make it more productive and it's going to make it more automated. Uh, these decisions will feed into a tractor or a robot or a driverless tractor or whatever um, that's going to go and apply that. And so it's going to make precision farming um, at scale even easier and more automated than it is today. Ag tech veteran Adrian Percy reflects on the sheer pace of change, believing that in a century, technology advancements will create virtually unrecognizable farming practices. Nothing like it is today. We will see much more technology. We will see a completely digitized food system. And we will see, I think, lower, lower use of labor in the field. 
a lot of those menial tasks that no one really wants to do going away and being replaced by robots and other 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 new equipment. And I think agriculture will be largely grown indoors or food will be largely grown indoors as well in a hundred years. So let's let's see. <laughs> I won't be around then, but uh, I'd love to I'd love to find out and fast forward. Standing in the way is probably the inheritance that we have, the the traditions that we have to a degree, the lack of really new thinking, the lack of new technology or the available new technology, the fact that um, governments are not yet sufficiently tuned in to the needs of agriculture. So a lot of a lot of hurdles to overcome. We end with a senior investment strategist at UBS, Wayne Gordon, who predicts that although much of farming in 2122 will be unrecognizable to us today, we will continue to value the deeply embedded need for cultural and social practices around food and eating. I think it'll look vastly different in the sense that a lot more products will be cultivated through cell-based agriculture, for example, particularly in proteins. We will become better at managing water resources simply because they will become scarcer. Having said that, I still think there is a significant place, and I use the word traditional in more of a geographical sense. I think there is still significant opportunities for uh, broadacre agriculture um, uh, to continue to conduct operations, obviously not as we see them today, but not that dissimilar with a lot more emphasis on data, data management to make key management decisions. There'll be a lot greater focus on the type of food we eat, um, things like uh, food uh, for health reasons, the utilisation of food in medicine. Those elements will actually embed agriculture more in the day-to-day life of consumers uh, than it does today. I think the consumer in the future will be completely aware of where it's where the food comes from, how that food interacts in its diet, how that food is adding to the overall nutrition and health of our bodies. and But at the same time, we won't lose the enjoyment for food. And I think that's really key that while, yes, we will produce you know, cell-based agriculture and it will provide an enormous amount of our nutrition that we consume every day, uh, at the same time, there's going to be a great uniqueness still about buying uh, wine from Burgundy and, and so forth. Um, you know, of course, a lot of this is predicated on, you know, us making significant inroads into the mitigation of changes in our climate, the mitigation and adaptation to what will be a changing climate over the next hundred years. But as food has been an immense pleasure for, for thousands of years, it will be the same in that context looking forward a hundred years, just how we produce that food and the, the type of products in which we consume on a day-to-day basis clearly will change significantly, but we will still get a great deal of enjoyment and, and pleasure out of where food is produced and how food is produced and the unique way in which many producers bring those products to market. That sort of interaction between technology and, I guess, if, if you can say history and provenance I think will become more embedded in in, uh, how we look at food and agriculture in 100 years. So there we have it. Food for thought about future farming. A range of views that strike me as exciting and sometimes alarming in equal measure. What do you think agriculture will look like in 100 years? 
What kind of future would you like to create? Share your thoughts and tag me on LinkedIn or Twitter using the hashtag InnovatingAgTech or contact me via agtechthinking.com. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and thank you for listening. Thank you.